morning, and if you haven't been wished a happy Father's Day, happy Father's Day, and if you're not a father, wish somebody a happy Father's Day. So make sure, turn around, greet somebody, wish, the, wish them happy Father's Day. You have to make sure you, somebody gets wished a happy Father's Day. Yeah, well, thank you, happy Father's Day. <laughs> this is... This is a day we're celebrating fathers when they're at their best, right? We know we all struggle to stay positive and engaged and saying yes to the right things and no to the right things 100% of the time. But these are the times where we celebrate the dads who organize the family camping trips. And these are the times we celebrate the dads who make their world-famous Saturday morning breakfasts and the dads who go to the dance recitals. I can re- the, the, the best memories I have of, of my dad... Is, a, is when he was coming to my baseball games. And I, I can remember him vividly telling stories about the time when he was watching me play second base. And I was an easily distracted kid, if you can imagine, because I'm still an easily distracted adult. And I was, I was playing baseball, and I think I was kicking a, a rock in the, in, the, in, in the sand. And there was, the bases were loaded or something. There was nobody. I was a big play in the game. And I can remember my dad telling a story. He was watching me. And he, everything inside him wanted to get up and just yell, pay attention to the game. And he thought, no... He always probably paying attention, and I was still playing with that stinking rock. And then I heard the crack of a bat, and I looked up, and I grabbed the baseball. And the other runners had kept running, and it was a lineout. So I grabbed it, and I touched the guy in front of me and stepped on second base, and I made this unassisted triple play. And I remember, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, I was pretty <laughs> And I remember my dad telling that story to everyone else said, and I never, I never questioned if he was paying attention again, because I figured he was doing two things at once. But I remember in a moment when I clearly was not paying attention and was doing the wrong thing, my dad turned it into a celebration moment that he could share with friends and family. And I remember feeling so proud that my dad was watching. And on a night when he could have been at home watching real baseball players play a game, or even going to the Jays game, he was watching me play baseball and kick a rock around. I can remember him telling stories about my sister and how her face looked, the expressions that she had when she was out on the dance floor. My sister was, a, she was in the dance recitals. She was a tap dancer and a ballet dancer. And I thought, why would he go to all those dance recitals and all those dance competitions and pay attention so closely? But my dad was engaged. And his dedication to be there and his generosity uh, with, with his time, you know what it taught us? It taught us that he loved us. I remember camping trips going to, we, I remember one summer specifically where we were going out to PEI and we had one of those old tent trailers and we were driving a Ford Econoline van and the van broke down on the way out and the camper broke down uh, multiple times in the, uh, at different stops along the way. But he never lost his patience and he never let it ruin the trip and we still made it to PEI even though we had to spend a couple nights in a hotel and spend a few extra days waiting for the van to get fixed. He demonstrated to us time and time again that he loved us because of the way that he gave us his attention, the way that he gave us his time. And as we enter our two final weeks of the Authentic series, we're learning how to authentically love other people and love God because so much of the love that we experience here on earth, it's, it's more of an imitation kind of love. It leaves us feeling somewhat dissatisfied, not really fulfilled. You know, my, my, in-laws are, my in-laws are flying home from Belgium today. And you know when you've had chocolate in Belgium or chocolate over in Europe? Anyone had European chocolate? Yeah, you've had this chocolate, right? And then you come home and you try, you break off a piece of our chocolate and you think, 
this is terrible. I don't want to eat this chocolate. And that's the sense that we get sometimes. The love that we experience is like cheap dollar store chocolate. And when you have the real thing, you just crave more and more of that. And we're, we're, what we're finding is that the book of Romans tells us that authentic love has all these pieces that would leave us wanting more if we didn't include them. And we're going to move on this week to generosity in that the Bible in Romans 12 and 13 says, sincere love must share with the Lord's people who are in need and be generous. So we're rooted in Romans 12 and 13. And it is indeed referring to money that we're going to share with the Lord's people. But it's more focused on not just sharing with our money, but actually having a lifestyle and a character that's generous. And how we love God and how we show others love needs to include the aspect of being generous. And we're going to go to a story in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at uh, the prophet Elijah and how he and another lady experienced generosity and how that demonstrated love. So if you want a copy of the Bible to borrow this morning, slip up your hand, and uh, one of our ushers will make sure you get a copy to, to borrow. And if not, you can go to your Bible, 1 Kings 17, 9 through 15, or you can follow it online in the U version if you have uh, the uh, the U version app. You can go on to Mississauga or Milton or Portico or something, and you'll find uh, uh, authentic love, generosity there. So we're going to go First Kings 17 verses 9 through 15 as our key text. And here's what it says: It says, "Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food." This is the Lord speaking to Elijah. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to a town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that that we may eat it and die. (laughs) Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain in our land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. And this is the story of a lady who was challenged and responded well in terms of living a generous life. Probably most of us would want to be generous. If we were just to be honest, would you say, would you choose to be selfish or choose to be generous? Well, we'd choose to be generous. It's just that we get oversaturated with requests for us to give. Have you ever noticed that or felt that these days that everywhere you go, somebody's saying, can I have something more? When you go to check out at the store, what happens? There's always that, that bin there and they say, would you like to donate $1 to this today or $2 to this today? And, and then when your kids bring home something from the school, it says, here's the fun day and here's what we're collecting for this month. And we go to church and we're taking up an offering for somebody else and we have our give hope every day and we're investing in missions, we're investing in the regular life of the church and you turn on your device and there's an ad on the side and it says give to this and donate. Every time you go onto Wikipedia, it says Wikipedia is only possible with donations like yours. And you go everywhere and you just feel like, I don't know that I can keep giving. How guilty does it make you feel saying no all the time to all of these things? I was, at, I was at Walmart a little while ago, and I was purchasing weed killer for my lawn, 
Okay, and we know that we don't have good weed killer anymore anyways. All we have is that cheap stuff because they've uh, they've outlawed it in Ontario. But it's still something because we have thousands of dandelions on our lawns, right? And I'm I'm spending $20 for weed killer so my lawn looks a little nicer. And then there's a $2 gift to the children's hospital there. And I look at the lady and I say, no, I'm not going to give you $2. I'm going to spend that on my weed killer. So (laughs) I'm thinking... How, what kind of a horrible person am I that <laughs> I'm saying I'd rather spend the money on weed killer than for a kid who needs a surgery that, that is having, going through life with a struggle, and I'm, I'm saying no. And then I had an email when I got home, and it was from Hope's Basketball League, and they say they need coaches for the fall, and I'm thinking... I don't really want to coach basketball this fall because I like Saturday mornings not having to get up and be the coach. I just like going and I, I get a coffee and I watch her and I read. And, do, I, and I, so I'm saying no to my child. I'm saying no to the kids in the hospital. And then there was, a, there was a, an email that we, we helped support um, some different funds through a couple different organizations. They were asking for special fundraising for kids who were going through a famine in, in one of their countries. And I thought, in the course of one day, I've managed to ignore the needs of sick children starving children and my own child (laughs) saying no at the time and it's not that we're heartless it's just that the opportunities are seemingly countless and we can't possibly say yes to everything and people really have no shame about how they're going to ask you about money anymore right do you remember this commercial from a few years ago we're going to watch this commercial every time this commercial came on i just well just watch it how can you say no to the dogs limping around? Who's, who's, going, to the, who's going to adopt an animal this afternoon, right? <laughs> you remember that, though? They get, a, they get a star on with a heart-wrenching song, and then you can't just say no to that dog who's limping around on three legs or the cat with one eye, can you? They need you, and everybody's asking for money. Actually, I read an article about that, and Sarah McLaughlin, she said she had to turn off the TV every time she saw that commercial. She just couldn't watch it. She thought it was too much. It was just over the top for her. And globalization, you know, it's been a great thing for so many reasons, but in some ways it's desensitized us because we see needs all the time, don't we? It used to be when we saw a need, we would think, I need to give to that. I need to get involved. But because we see things every day, every moment in multiple ways, we start to feel like, you know what? I just can't give and I don't, I don't really need to give. I don't know if you were watching CNN this, this week at all. You've been following the story of the red crabs that landed on the California beach. Has anybody been following that? Go to the next picture too. We, we see that the beach was just... Just millions of them infested the beach. And there's this, there's this neat story, and you, you, can, you can Google it later. If I get boring, you can Google it during the service. But there's this lady that was, that was walking along the, the beach, and she was trying to put some back in because these, they, they weren't going to survive unless they got back into the ocean. And it's almost like that, that old story that we've heard about the, um, the starfish, and they're, out, they're throwing starfish back into the sea and like, and, the, and uh, the, the one person was saying to the lady, like, you're not going to make a difference. There are millions of these crabs that have landed on shore. And, and she was saying, you know, but she was inspired by this, the, this other story and said, it's going to make a difference for the few that I'm throwing back in. But don't you feel that way sometimes, that what's the point in giving? Because everybody needs money and everybody needs time and even the helpless animals are, would benefit from your generosity. So how can I really even invest in anything because I'm not going to do any good anyway. 
Well, what we see in Romans 12 and 13 and in this story that we're going to study this morning is that an authentic, loving lifestyle of generosity, it increases our sensitivity to the needs of others. The woman in this story, she was living in the midst of a national drought. And everybody that she would have come into contact with every day would have been in need. She didn't need the internet. She didn't need globalization to get weighted down, seeing needy people and opportunities to be generous. Everybody she would have spoken with would have needed food, would have needed support, would have needed help. That was her community. And along comes Elijah, ready to eat, and he asks for food. And I love the way that she just goes and tells it like it is in 1 Kings 17 and 12. She says, I don't have any bread. I'm going to make a meal for myself and my son so we may eat it and die. She just throw, throws it out there. We're just going to eat and then die. I would think that eating would actually prolong her life, but she didn't feel that way. She felt like, I'm just going to, th- this is going to be the last straw for me. And being generous didn't really seem like an option for her because it didn't seem like she had any ability to give. You know, each of us walked into church today with too much to do and not enough money to get it all done, right? <laughs> we, we have things on our mind. We have a limited amount of resources. And yet still, we know that to love well, we have to keep a keen awareness of the needs of people all around us. Look what James 1 and 27 says about true religion. This is a familiar scripture to many of us. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Do you remember the first time that you got a real paycheck? Do you remember that? The first real, like not the $12 paycheck you got, you were babysitting somewhere. I'm saying like the first real paycheck you got and you were just blown away by the opportunity that you were going to have, all the things that you could do that you dreamed about doing before and you finally thought, this is when I'm going to do it. You were going to go out to dinner at a restaurant that didn't have a teenager in a gimmicky costume taking your order from the value menu. Do you remember that feeling? You're like, I'm going to pay for a real meal. Or you were going to go to the Rogers Center or the Sky Dome it would have been, and uh, you were going to buy a seat that didn't require you to take a water break on the way up there because you were just looping around and around. You were going to buy the real seats, you know, that first real paycheck. And I always thought that the older I got, the more freedom I would have to serve myself. And all, the, all my life, adults had told me what to do and when to do it. And to growing up would mean that I'd have freedom to choose and freedom to serve me a little bit more than just to have to always be told what to do and be limited. But a generous life is the exact opposite. And the more that I grow, the more that I realize there's so much more that I need to give. I know how much that Amanda and I appreciate when we get a night out away and we're not having to do stuff around the house or look after hope. But then we start to see friends who need us to watch their kids just as much as we would appreciate somebody watching our child. So then we would instead choose to give somebody else a night out. Or on on weekends, I would love to watch a baseball game and lay in the backyard. And I know that instead of doing that, I've got a daughter who wants a clean pool and she wants a dad to throw her into the pool repeatedly time and time again. And I'm thinking, am I going to serve myself or am I going to serve somebody else more? And the life of a Christ follower is continually becoming more aware of, of who is in need and the needs that are around us and then living for that need. 
Instead of living for ourselves, we know that the seniors next door, they have needs. We know that the MCRC that's in our building, there, there are legitimate needs of people in our community, and they're just as important as the needs and the things that we feel every day that we would benefit from having taken care of for us. But authentic love generously looks beyond ourselves and cares for other people. Look what Romans 15, 25 to 27 said. This was Paul writing to the church in Rome, and he said, For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people who were in Jerusalem. And you know, the part of us that became desensitized and shut off because there were too many needs, that part gets turned back on when we start to live with authentic love. The part that tunes out the needs of other people is not the part that is authentically in tune with Christ. And to love Jesus means to be in tune with the needs of the people that he loves. And it could be a really big step for some of us here this morning that we've made the distinction in our heads that we know everybody has a need, but it's not just an ideological thing. It's a practical one where we say, I'm no longer going to prioritize my needs over the needs of, whether it's people in my family or people in my community, I'm going to live generously a life for somebody else. And to love authentically means to be compelled to care for the felt needs of other people. In, there's the concept of reframing. I don't know if you, how much you've looked into that, but it's, the, it's something that where a thing doesn't change, our opinion about that thing changes. When you have a problem at work, it's not a problem. It's an opportunity to show your skills. You still have the problem, but it's not a problem. You're just feeling, this is a great opportunity for me. Some of you would, would look at if, uh, if you, you had this forced exercise put upon you saying, we're going, we're going for a bike ride this afternoon. You're thinking, that's going to be a problem for me. I really don't want to exercise. That hurts. But you could reframe it and say, you know, exercise is not a pain to you. It's actually an excuse to eat more brownies after dinner. So you've got you to gotta change. The thing doesn't change. The way you look at it changes. The pain or the challenge stays, but our experience in that changes. Well, generosity helps us reframe how we use our resources. So we look in the key passage, Elijah, he says that God's already done some reframing for this widow in 1 Kings 17 and 9. God says, go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow to supply you with food. And the gift of food to Elijah wasn't a sacrifice for this lady, it was an opportunity to become obedient to God. She didn't have any food to give, and it was going to cost her. She felt like she was about to die, but she looks at it as an opportunity to be obedient to Christ. Now, some people are natural, they're just naturally generous, and they find it easy to give of themselves and give to other people, and not all of us are hardwired to be that way. Some of you feel like, you know, it's, it's actually hard for me to look beyond myself if I was to be honest. And this is where this act of generosity be actually becomes a supernatural act and one where we rely on God's spirit to help us love in this way. And we don't do it because it feels good. We do it because there are people around us that desperately need to experience generosity in love. Look what 1 Timothy 6 and 18 says. It says, command them... These are the followers of, of Christ. Command them to be rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share. And we need to understand this isn't a manipulation message this morning to give more because we already took up the offering. This is, this is a teaching from God's word. And he's saying, I'm not asking for your credit card. I'm not asking for you to give money. Here, I'm asking for your heart. 
Because when God gets a hold of our hearts, generosity starts to outflow from us. And regardless of what the need is, we start to act on behalf of God's people and we start to live good works and good, and good deeds and sacrificially generous, generosity because he's got our heart and we start to see things differently. It's not that our financial situation changes. It's not that how we want to act changes. It's the way that we view it that changes. If God has a proper hold on our heart, taking care of other people just becomes a natural response, whether it feels good or not. Amanda and I recognized a few years ago that uh, we've been blessed with the ability to purchase a home. We always forget this. If we were globalization again has been a good thing in so many ways we understand if we own any kind of home whether we're renting or whether we're buying we're in the top one percent most wealthy in the world and when we're praying about purchasing a home we remember saying god this is this is your home and i don't know why we were born in canada and blessed with jobs but this is not our home this is your home and four times throughout the course of our our 13 years of of having a home we've had people come and stay with us and live for free no rent just to bless somebody because they needed a time to transition they needed a place to be because their home wasn't the most ideal spot for them or they were trying to get out on their own their own feet and for me it's not as much as a struggle as i would say it is for amanda amanda's an introvert she's more private it's not natural for her to say yeah sure come on and just take my space and my quiet time and my home and and but it's been unbelievable because almost every time that we've invited some, I think three out of the four times that we've had somebody invited into our home, it hasn't been me. It's been, Amanda's been out speaking with the need of a person and she, what isn't natural for her became a supernatural act where she said, you know, we need to have this person come and stay with us for a while. And I'm thinking, are you sure? Because <laughs> every, time, every time we do this, this is, this is, this is a struggle. And she, but it's not about me. It's, well, she says, it, she says that. She's not saying it's not about me. She's saying it's not about her. She's saying it's about God using her in a generous way. It, we've got people going on, on missions th- this summer. I bet, Sharon, you could probably find better things to do with your $2,100 this summer than go on a missions trip, right? You can, Sharon, actually, well, I won't, I, won't, I won't spill the beans, but I know that Sharon has, has some things that you can talk to Sharon afterwards because I've just totally set her up there. But, but I know that Sharon has real financial um, not needs, but places where she can invest some finances this summer, and you're investing $2,100, just like all the members of your Costa Rica team to go and share the gospel with people that need to hear it. It's not because it feels good. It's because you're responding to what God's saying in your heart and generously giving of your own time and your own life. And generosity reframes our giving from something that we've lost into something that we're investing into another person, into God's kingdom. For our fathers, it's Father's Day. Every time we get off the, up off the couch for our kids, we're investing. Every dollar that any of us give or every hour that we give in an evening of volunteer work, we can't count it as something we've lost, but we count it as a win for somebody else and a win for God's character and nature being developed within us. As we grow as Christ followers, we don't get manipulated. We almost start to manipulate ourselves and we start helping to reframe the way that we spend our finances. On Hope's piggy bank, we have a picture of the girl that she supports in the Congo. And so for every dollar of her allowance, 50 cents of it goes to Jemima and 50 cents of it goes to her. And yeah, it's the best name, Jemima, right? Because she, yeah, we have a, it's actually a picture of the lady from Aunt Jemima, maple syrup, and Jemima right beside it, so we know both Jemimas. And we've, we've, got, 
we've got a picture of <laughs> random. We've got a <laughs> we've got a picture of of the man that we've sponsored with the organization Kiva. His name's Jimmy, and we do microfinancing. And Jimmy runs a, Jimmy runs a, a textile store in Costa Rica. But we know that we've invested one hundred and fifty dollars into his business, and so we pray for Jimmy. We've started manipulating ourselves to remind ourselves it's not a loss of our money. We're investing into other people. And why do we do it? We do it because to love God well means love people well. Colossians 3 and 17. Whatever you do, whether in its word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And if we were to be honest, it may not come naturally for us. I don't know what it, maybe you're more able to give of time or money or, or attention. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't matter what comes naturally. God's saying this is a supernatural act that we are loving with his power, with his, with his energy, with his finances, because it's not ours anyway. Our lives are submitted to him when we become Christ followers. And really what it boils down to is the tension that we all manage, that we've convinced ourselves that we don't actually have the time or have the money or we don't have the kind of life to live generously. I would, have you ever said this? You know, I would give or I would volunteer, or I would take care of the needs of other people, but only when it becomes possible for me to act that way. Like, when I get the money, I'll give. When I get the time, then I'll start to volunteer. Here's our final thought this morning, is that generosity is the outflow of your character. It's not the overflow of your capacity. If we give what's left over, it's easy. And it's not actually all that generous. It's a donation. Actually, it's, it's very pragmatic. You've realized that if you're not going to use it and you really don't need it, it's better that somebody else has it rather than nobody has it. I remember one of, one of, one of my pastors when I was growing up, they had, this, uh, they had this practice and we've adopted it as one of our family practices. And they said before any of their kids got a toy at Christmas, they would choose one toy that they were no longer using. Maybe they've outgrown and then they, they would go down to the shelter or the food bank and they'd, and they'd donate that toy as a good recognition of, we don't need more, but if we're going to get something, we're going to give something as well. And it's a kind and it's a thoughtful practice and it's something that we do. But it's not really generous, authentic love that's life-changing, is it? Giving something that's of excess isn't the kind of love that Paul's talking about in Romans. The widow in our story truly had nothing. <laughs> she was making life or death decisions for her family. And in verse 15, we see that she went and she gave anyways when she didn't have anything. Her generosity wasn't limited by how much she felt she had left over or even by how little she felt she had for herself. She gave because God's design for us is to live generously. There's a story that we know in the New Testament, if we're familiar familiar with the scripture. It's about the, another poor widow who gave a few cents in the offering at the temple. And Jesus compared her offering with the people who were religious and were giving a little bit more and they liked to show off their offering and they gave out of their excess. And Jesus said to them, you, you know, you need to know that this offering that came out of poverty was more valuable because it was a sacrifice. I knew, as, as we started off the service this morning, I said, I knew my dad loved me because he chose my baseball over Blue Jays baseball. <laughs> it wasn't more entertaining. In fact, he even confessed it was frustrating watching me kick that rock. But it was a sacrifice for him to come and say, 
I'd rather choose to be, even though there's something that would benefit me more, even though he was busy, even though he had three kids, all different places to be, he said, I'm going to come and sacrifice and be with you. And authentic love is so powerful that it could revolutionize our marriages, revolutionize their family, change people's eternities if they experienced that kind of authenticity and generosity in love. When we learn to love our spouses sacrificially and not giving them what's left over, but prioritizing their needs over what we would want, our marriages become divorce-proof. Our marriages wouldn't break up because we would start to feel that, you know, there's somebody that loves me way beyond the way that they love themselves. There's no way that I'm leaving that person. When, when we begin to love people in our neighborhoods, with generosity, caring for their needs and their kids beyond what we would care for for ourselves and our own needs, that kind of faith becomes contagious and people start to want to know, why on earth would you care more about me and my kids than you seem to care about you and your... Now, I'm not saying we should neglect our kids, but, <laughs> there's, a, but there's, a, there's a great story that somebody was telling me this week and they said they were, they were mowing their lawn and the lawnmower cut out and they got down and they thought, oh, is it out of gas, and they put new gas in, lawnmower still wouldn't work, and it was one of those days where it had just been too much, you know, like thing after thing after thing had happened, and so admittedly, they lost it on the lawnmower, and they, and they yelled, a stupid lawnmower, and piece of junk, and they got all mad, and, and they brought it down, garbage day was the next day, so they brought it down to the curb, and just left it there, and, and walked away, and said, I'm not even bothered, I'm gonna go, maybe they got one of those little push mowers, so they don't have to deal with a motor anymore, But that person's neighbor saw what happened and probably not in a judgmental way, but in a a real way that sympathized with the frustration when the lawnmower doesn't work, went down, looked at it and thought, I know know how to fix that. Drove over to Canadian Tire, got a $10 part and then came back and fixed the lawnmower and knocked on the neighbor's door and said, you know, I noticed you're having a difficult time with your lawnmower and just wanted to let you know it was a $10 part and I fixed it and you can finish mowing your lawn. <laughs> and the man cheapestly hung his head and said, thank you so much for caring for me that way. That, that's, that's a way, when, when we care for somebody else's need like that, that demonstrates Christ's love so much more richly than, when, than anything that we could possibly do when they were experiencing that kind of love. He's not asking us to start off this process by quitting everything that we do and just investing all of our time into somebody else. He's not asking us to give up every one of our last cents so that all the people who, who have needs in Milton and needs in Canada or needs in the world so that we'd be completely poor and they would have all of our money. He's not asking us to start way up here. He's asking us to go, this is an individual process. And wherever he takes you this morning and wherever he takes me this morning, one step further in our spiritual formation and our obedience to live generous lives, that's what he's asking us to do. It, you know, it's a constant process. Having our lives turned over to him, having our hearts become more and more like him. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. We're not, we're not manipulating this morning. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Isn't that an amazing scripture? We just want to 
read that as a blessing one more time over us, that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning and says, you need to take this step, you need to start supporting this person, this ministry financially, you need to start volunteering here, you need to start living an authentic life that generously gives and shares what you have within you so that somebody else's life is changed. Scripture promises you'll have what you need and you will abound in every good work. The widow gave because God instructed her to, not because she wanted to, and she was blessed because of it. We believe that all the time God is going to speak to our hearts. If we're ready to listen, he's speaking to us. Nice catch. And he called us to live in, to live in a way that the world would regularly experience this kind of love. And on Father's Day, Father's it's normally about us, right? On Father's Day, where we think, what am I, did I, did anybody get a breakfast this morning? Did we get a, yeah, a few, bre- anybody getting a barbecue at lunch today? Yeah, we got a few, we got barbecues, or, or you're going out for dinner. Anybody go, yeah, we have, some people going out, some people going to have a barbecue, some people had breakfast. On a day when it's normally focused on us, we can be generous and love our families rather than look for what we can get out of our day. If it's our finances, we can look for ways to generously bless someone who needs it rather than continue to look for a way we can keep the pattern of excess that we live here in Canada. If it's time, maybe there's somebody whose life could be transformed. All that's missing is you or I demonstrating authentic love to them and doing what it says in Romans 12 and 13, sharing with a person who's in need. We end with this verse this morning, Matthew 10 and 8. Freely given... So freely give. Freely you've received. And freely give. We didn't earn what we have here. We were blessed by God. It can come and go in the blink of an eye. We're stewards of our time. We're stewards of the investment that's been placed in us. We're exhorted to freely give this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to be encouraged by your word. And God, I pray that just like we read a few moments ago, none of this would be a time where we would feel that we've been manipulated, Lord. And none of us would give with reluctant hearts. God, you've asked us just to come and lay our lives down. And I pray that each of us would be able to take a step forward this morning in our obedience and our spiritual formation when it comes to living authentic lives that love generously. So God, I ask that right now, in the quietness of this moment, you would speak to us. You would speak to us in a real way, in an impactful way, and we wouldn't leave it as a moment in church, but we would take it and make it into action steps, practical steps. Lord, you're calling some people right now to give financially in a way that they haven't given before. God, you're giving some of us a challenge to start to invest of our energy and our time into our neighbors, into our families, in ways that we had never considered that we had the ability to give before. And in the name of Jesus, we pray, God, that you do it supernaturally. It's not a natural act. It's not when we have excess, Lord. We do it because you've called us to give and because we want to demonstrate to the world the love that changed our lives. And when they see the love of authenticity that loves generously, God, they will want to know who you are and how they can, become, um, they can become your kids and have the same kind of relationship and understanding and spirit inside us that we do, Lord. God, we thank you for our fathers this morning. And we just ask that your blessing be on them, especially as we go through the course of this day. Help us to love them in the way that you loved us. 
We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.